It is good to be with you all again. I think I was just here about four weeks ago, and that was a great time. Um, sometimes Paul will begin his letters um, saying, I've heard of you all, or I give thanks for you all. Like Second uh, uh, Thessalonians begins, he says, he writes it with uh, Timothy and uh, Sylvanus, and he says, I, I remember you fondly, or I've heard of how the Lord's been at work. And I wanted to say, as the REF guy at VCU, that I've heard. I've heard. The Lord is using you all um, to bless Ben and Don and to bless the students at William and Mary. Um, so thank you from another campus minister for the ways that you're caring for uh, people that I love. We are in Psalm 87. Can't forget it, right? If y'all want to turn there, we'll uh, read it soon. That's uh, the big book in the middle of the Bible. Let it fall open and look for the big eight and the big seven. We'll be there. As you turn there, I want to say that uh, I I moved to Richmond about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and um, it was was interesting. Moving all the way across the country, I I moved from a little island right off of Seattle, Vashon Island. I started my odometer as I got on the ferry boat to drive to Seattle to start my journey. As I parked at the U-Haul on Lombardi Street, just north of Broad in Richmond, some of you might know that place. I didn't know where I was going to be living yet. I stopped the odometer, and it was 3333. I thought I'd share that with you. It's kind of interesting. Well, what happens when you move, you know, what I had to do is I had to find an apartment, and then beyond that, you know, you have to set up the electricity and the, the gas and all these sorts of things. And what, what I found out was that uh, there's a question on some of these forms that you have to fill out that I just thought was strange. And that was, uh, where were you born? Uh, I have no clue. No clue why Dominion Power wants to know that I was born in Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> like, why, why do they care about that, right? Um, but, it's, but it's a common question. Where were you born? Where are you from? I went to seminary in St. Louis at Covenant Seminary where Ben went. And uh, the common question there is, what school did you go to? In Washington, when you're asked what school did you go to, you're, you're, you're referring to what college. In St. Louis, it's what high school did you go to. And it's, it's just known, it's a way of sizing one another up. What high school did you go to? Uh, what school did you go to? I hear uh, from some people in Richmond that the question is, who are your people in Virginia? Do you all know that? Who are your people? Well, um, that's actually a very common question that I ask students quite a bit. You know, I meet someone, oh, where are you from? And it sort of make, it's, actually, it's a very reasonable question to ask because it is a way of getting to know one another, right? Where are you from? It tells something about, about you. It tells a little bit about your history. It tells about uh, your identity in some ways. Um, well, this psalm is going to ask the same question. Where are you from? It doesn't do it uh, in the, with the same motives as Dominion Power, um, nor as St. Louis natives. It's not trying to necessarily size you up, but it does ask you the question. Where are you from? Where were you born? Uh, where do you place your identity? So, uh, with that question in mind, follow along with me. I'm going to read Psalm 87. Psalm 87, then we'll pray, and then we'll look at it together. It says, A psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. 
Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, all my springs are in you. Let's pray together. Our great God, how, um, how wonderful it is to dwell with you. Lord, what a joy it is to be numbered with your people. Lord, uh, we ask that you would dwell with us now here, that you would open up this text to us. Um, Lord, I don't know this congregation. I um, pray, Lord, if there is someone new here, wondering about the Christian gospel, that these words would be words of comfort to them. And Lord, for all of those here who have long called on the name of Christ, I pray that they would see their identity as in Christ, that as being born again, as being found in you. Um, Lord, we all have different pasts. We pray, Lord, that this text would teach us uh, how we are to see ourselves in light of the gospel. Lord, with the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a Presbyterian church, so I imagine some of you know the name John Calvin, maybe a few of you. Well, uh, John Calvin said of the Psalms that the Psalms span the whole gamut of emotion. If you don't know that he said that, I hope you're glad that he said that. I hope that you're, you're glad to know that that's true, that the Psalms span the whole gamut of our emotion. And I hope that you're glad because of that, because the Psalms are the hymn book of the people of God, right? The Psalms are where we learn to sing. The Psalms are, uh, are what gives voice to the, the deep, the meaningful experiences of life, um, the, the deep emotions that we have in life. Uh, Maybe some of you have seen the movie, uh, the Kenneth Branagh rendition of Henry V, Shakespeare's Henry V, a few of you. Well, at the, at, the, at the end of the Battle of Agincourt in that movie, there begins the non nobis. Non nobis domine, domine. And if you've seen it, you know it fits. You know it, it works. It's, it's pretty somber. It says, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory. It was a war after all, right? It was a war. Who, there was blood. There were people, friends died. Enemies were killed. And it was a great experience. It, it demanded a sober, a sombering song that directed praise in the right direction. Uh, a year ago, my first nephew was born. He was born uh, down at the NICU. I think I mentioned this last time, actually, uh, down in Norfolk. And I would go down there uh, last summer whenever I had time off, because he spent three months there. And I would sit with him in his little, what we ca called a womb with a view, this little box that was all clear, <laughs> a womb with a view. And uh, I, 
I, I was reading to him, I read to him uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, sitting there. Um, but what would, what would happen occasionally through the loudspeakers, uh, over the loudspeakers would chime in, da, 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 da. And every time that happened, there was a baby that was born in the NICU. And what it did, what it, what it was saying was, it was, it was hoping for the future. It was saying that a great event just happened. A baby was born. Now let's hope, let's pray that that baby's mother, that that baby's father would be able to sing over that child and would remind that child of its story. Uh, the fact of the matter is, the great events of our lives need to be sung. The great truths need to be sung. And so what happens in the Psalms is, is it gives us a voice to do that. Um, there are Psalms that you should have on your lips this October and November as the Commonwealth changes color. Right? If you drive through Shenandoah, if you drive through this area in October, November, uh, it, it lights on fire. And you should be singing some of the Psalms that are declaring the glories of creation. There are psalms that express lament that I know you go through at times. There are psalms that, uh, that tell of the experiences that I imagine maybe all of you have had, where you have felt that God is distant. One of my favorites is Psalm 13. It says, How long, O Lord? It's very straight up. How long, O Lord? How long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And the Psalms say, sing those things. Sing those great events. Sing those deep emotions to the Lord. There's a psalm that says, revive us. Revive us, O Lord. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. That is what we have in the Psalms. The deep things, the, the most meaningful things in our lives, demand a song. So what's the deal with Psalm 87? Well, Psalm 87 tells us about the church. It tells us about uh, the people of God, you, you all, if you belong to Jesus. It tells us about how we're to think about each other, how we're, how we're to think about this body of people that God is building, that Jesus died for, uh, the church. And um, we're going we're gonna to consider the psalm in, with two main things. That we're going to look at the place of God and the people of God, okay? Place, people. I'm a Presbyterian minister, should I have a third P, but there's only two P's, place and people. Um, but here's the thing, as, as, we, as we look at this psalm, you quickly notice that there's, there's all these places that are mentioned, right? Um, behold, Rahab, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Zion. One stands out, one of these places stands out um, over all the rest, right? It's, it's this place, Zion. Uh, all, the, the deal is that all, these, all the other places find their meaning around this one focal point. It, it, it gives direction to the, all, the, all the other places. It kind of reminds me of my, the kitchen and dining room when I was growing up. Um, I slept, you know, I had a bedroom. We did some things in our bedroom. But all, most of my memories growing up revolved around the kitchen, around, around the dining room. It was the focal point of our family life. Um, and that's sort of what, what's happening here, is that even though there's all these other places mentioned, they're finding their great meaning in Zion. Uh, living out here in the Commonwealth, uh, is, is, I'm a little ways away from Washington, right? 3,333 miles, 
according to the odometer, the U-Haul on Lombardi. Uh, that's a little ways away. So when someone asks me, where are you born, I, I or where are you from, I rarely say Vashon Island. Does anyone know where Vashon Island is? Okay, that's why I don't do that. Um, I say Seattle, because Seattle's a focal point, which is, it's right next to Seattle, but it's not Seattle. I've actually never lived in Seattle, but it's a way of, giving, of orienting you, of giving you a direction. It kind of focuses your attention a little bit. Well, that's sort of what Zion is here. It's the focal point. It's the place. Now, of course, the question you all should be asking is why? Why is it the place? Why all this attention on Zion? Well, okay, Zion is another, another name for Jerusalem. Jerusalem. What's the big deal about Zion and about Jerusalem? Why is it that some of the Psalms, I don't know, if which, uh, maybe you've looked at some of the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms where, that people would sing as they went to Jerusalem, to Zion. What they're doing is they're saying, we're going to Zion, it's the great place because that's where we meet with God. That's where God promises to meet with his people. That's where God dwells. And why? It's because that's where the temple is. That's where the temple is. Now, um, before the temple, there was the tabernacle. Maybe some of you all know this. But when the temple was built by Solomon, the temple actually took on some of the um, design features of the tabernacle. And one of those was at the curtains, and, and sort of the, some of the decorations depicted the cosmos. You know what I mean by that? Like the stars and the, the heavens. And what it was doing, what the temple did, the, the temple said that the God of Israel, the God of Israel, the God that you're coming to worship, is not just the God of Israel. He's the God who made all things. He made everything. But he wants to dwell with you. He wants to dwell with you. Um, so the big deal about Zion is that this is the place where the God who made all things, the God who made everything, uh, dwells and wants to be known by his people. That's why it's such a key thing. That's, that's also why when you come to the New Testament in passages like Hebrews 12, you all are the people of God, the church. If you, if you are in Jesus, are called a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because that's where God dwells. That's where he makes his dwelling. The God who made all things dwells in Zion, dwells with his people. Um, now, this, this may be a bit early. Some of y'all probably aren't thinking about Christmas cards yet, are you? No? I didn't think so. Um, but when you do, you know, what, what you don't write in your, your Christmas letter that you send out to people is... Uh, we fixed the broken toilet this year, and we painted the bathroom blue. You don't do that, do you? No. You say things like, um, Jane's doing very well off at William & Mary. Joe uh, was the all-star on the soccer team this year. And little Jill in the ballet was, oh, she did such a lovely job, right? You, you tell about your people. You tell about your family. You don't tell about all the kind of the, the nitty-gritty of life, but you, you, you talk about the individuals that make up your place, right? Who are your people? That's who you talk about. And so that's actually exactly what we find when we, when we, when we look here. It's not just the place. That's, that's massively important here. This is the place of God. It's the place where he dwells. But the main focus here is his people. 
people he dwells with. Um, it's very interesting. Verse 3, maybe you saw this, it says, Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Glorious things of you are spoken. Now what's glorious about this city, Zion? Well, verse 2 says the Lord loves it. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. That's, that is primarily what is lovely about Zion, is that the Lord loves it. Uh, what, what's interesting, what we, what we could find by reading elsewhere in the, in the Old Testament, in some of the Psalms actually, is that the, the holy mount, this place that's declared as so glorious, the holy mount stands, stands the city he founded. It's glorious. Uh, it's not particularly high. Uh, it's not a particularly grand mountain. It's not especially beautiful, you know. Um, the fact is that Zion in and of itself isn't really that glorious. But, uh, but what makes it glorious is that the Lord loves it. That the Lord loves it. And here's the thing. The church, uh, maybe if you're new to the church, you're, you're just about to find this out. If you've been around the church for a little while, you know this. The church isn't that glorious. Sorry. Y'all look nice. The church isn't that glorious. But it's glorious because the one who is all glory loves it. The one who is altogether lovely loves it. Um, no. Okay, the, the, the church is not a people who are all put together, right? Y'all are not all put together. I'm not all put together. Uh, we are not particularly lovely people. But the God who is altogether lovely makes his church glorious because, verse 2 says, the Lord loves the gates of Zion. The Lord loves his people. Um, now, what's interesting is that uh, when, when we turn to look at his people, we actually find out that their pedigree is uh, far, far from glorious, okay? Uh, the, the pedigree of the people of God is, well, let me put it this way. None of your jaws dropped, actually, when I said, or when Camper announced that we're going to look at Psalm 87. Why didn't, why didn't your jaws drop? Why didn't any of you raise your hand and say, Peter, we're not doing that. Not today, not here, not now, not with me in the room. What, none of you walked out when I read it. No one stood up and said, I'm out. This isn't for me. If you were an Israelite, you probably would have done that. If you would have been, uh, say, at the temple, and the priest says, hey, you know what we're going to sing today? We're going to sing Psalm 87. Mass, mass exodus, you all would have tried to leave. Here's why. Um, this psalm <laughs> is made up of all, all, what it says is that the people who, who constitute the people of God are the enemies. These are the last people who would be glorious, who the Lord should love. Um, you all probably have not done this. I sort of hope not. But have you ever written out a naughty list? Like people that you despise. A naughty list. You know, uh, uh, say, say we'd want to put on Scrooge, right? Scrooge would maybe be on the naughty list. Um, Mr. Potter of Bedford Falls would probably be on our naughty list. 
Um, I guess I haven't, I haven't read the Harry Potter books, but maybe Harry Potter's dad, I understand, or his parents may, may be on the naughty list. Um, no, is that right? No. Who is it that's on the naughty list from that? All right, the uncle, there you go. Um, or here's one that's definitely on the naughty list, at least for, the, for a while, is uh, Buddy the Elf's bio, biological dad. He's on the naughty list, right? He, I mean, he is, just literally, he's on the naughty list in that, in that movie. Um, but here's the deal. When we look at the people of God, in this, in this psalm, this is, is Israel's naughty list. Okay? This is, this is the worst. The worst of the people. Um, let, let me read verses four, uh, 4 through 6. Let me read all of first, verses 4 through 6 again. It says, Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples, this one was born there. Okay, we're, we're going to ease into this, because if I just went straight at it, you all really would want to, if you were in Israel, you'd want to leave, okay? But let's consider these people. We're going to do it geographically first, okay? Geographically. Where, where's Rahab? Rahab is a poetic name for Egypt, okay? So if you're looking at Israel, Egypt's down here, right? Okay, the next one is Babylon. Babylon's to the east, over here, right? Philistia, Philistia is like what we say is modern-day Gaza, Gaza Strip. Where's that? That's over here, to the west. Tyre, you guessed it, right, right? It's up to the north. And where's Cush? It's like Ethiopia, just a long ways away. So this, this, this would kind of be like me saying, all the people that are going to make up the people of Williamsburg are going to be, be from uh, North Carolina, they're going to be from Norfolk, they're going to be from Richmond, they're going to be from D.C., and they're going to be from Alaska. They're going to be from Washington State, Seattle. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be these people coming to Williamsburg from all over and finding life there. Um, so part of the point, let's, let's put this out, part of the point of this list of people that constitute the people of God is that um, this people really are uh, drawn from everywhere. Like, you know, like I said, uh, the temple had these pictures of the cosmos, and what it, what it was declaring was that the God of Israel is the God of all things, the God who made all people. And one of the things that this passage is saying is that that God, the God who dwells in, the, uh, in Zion, the God who is building his church, is bringing a people for himself from all over the place. This is the God who made all things, and he wants all people. That's pretty interesting, huh? Isn't that interesting that this passage gives you every kind of geographical direction, and then it also says, oh yeah, and the people way, way away. That's interesting. That's geographically. Let's consider the people historically, okay? Um, now, keep in mind the, the greatest enemy list, the, the naughty list. Um, Rahab, like I said, was a poetic name for Egypt. Do you think, for an Israelite, Egypt would be on the naughty list? Yeah, yes. 
Egypt would be on the naughty list. 400 years of slavery? And then, like, after the, at the end of those 400 years, they start killing the little baby boys? Do you want, if you were an Israelite, would you want Egypt to be mentioned as uh, belonging in Zion? No, that would be bad. Um, Babylon? You think Babylon is on the naughty list? Uh huh. Okay, what happens with Babylon is Babylon eventually comes to, to Israel and they, dis- they destroy Jerusalem. They actually destroy the temple. Do you think Babylon is on the naughty list? Yes, this is bad. Um, Philistia. Uh, do y'all remember this guy in, in, in the book of Judges? Maybe your children remember this. That has nice long hair. And uh, he's really strong, you know. And... Uh, He's eventually seduced by his seductive girlfriend. Remember that guy? Well, Samson, that's his name, one day he takes a a donkey's jawbone and he goes and kills. In one day, 1,000 people from Philistia. Do you think the Philistines are on the naughty list? Yes. This is Israel's most wanted. Um, think we could say the same about the Canaanites? Yeah, we could, we could absolutely say the same about the Canaanites. Uh, last New Year's Day, this past year, there were 21 Coptic Christians killed and 79 wounded. And most think that that was done by Al-Qaeda. Okay? Most think that that was done by Al-Qaeda. Um... This, this psalm would sort of be, be like me saying, you know who's going to be born again? You know, who's gonna, you know who we're going to sing about? You know who we're going to uh, dance about being in the people of God? Those guys. You think that's scandalous? Do you think if uh, an Israelite were to hear, hey, let's sing Psalm 87, (laughs) that they wouldn't consider leaving? Absolutely. Absolutely. But here's the thing. The Lord has always been in the business of making enemies, his children. He has always been doing this. He's always been saying, those who are far off, I'm bringing near. Those who were not my people are going to be my people. Those who are the least deserving are going to be my children. Uh, In the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book in the Bible, in uh, verse 7 7, it says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. In chapter 9, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, he says, it's not because you all were more righteous, you weren't particularly uh, morally upright, There's not, there was nothing about you Israelites that should have made me love you, and yet I do. Because what I do 
is I make enemies friends. More than that, I make enemies my children. See, what, what this text is telling us is that the God who, the God who made all things, who's, all, who's altogether glorious, who's altogether lovely, who is perfect, the God who made, he made everything. The, uh, Colossians tells us that he, in him all things hold together. If it weren't for Jesus speaking, holding me together right now, I'd be like the wicked witch of the West or the East, whatever the, the one that falls on, you know, in a puddle. That's the God who, that we worship. That's the God. He, he made all things. He made all people. This passage is saying that his church is made up, will be made up of people from everywhere, from, from every direction. There's going to be people from Norfolk. There's going to be people from D.C. There will be people from Richmond. There will be people from North Carolina, from Williamsburg, from Seattle, from all over. And, and what will characterize those people? This is the interesting thing about the, the church. Um, it, it's, this, it's this group that uh, you don't get in by showing how good you are, how deserving you are. You don't get to be part of God's people by saying, uh, here's my paycheck, check it out. Or like, look at how nice I look today. Uh, no. No, how you, get into, how you become part of this people from all over who are loved, who are, who are made glorious, is, is you understand that you're just like uh, Egypt? The Babylonians? That your heart is like the people of Philistia and Tyre and Cush? Uh, that your heart, in fact, is like the Israelites, wandering people, but who need the love of the God who made all things. This is the good news, you know. This is the good news of Christianity. This is the good news of Christ. This is, this, this passage is declaring to you the gospel. That, uh, that though you are far off, Though you're, you're not deserving, God wants to make you his child. Did you notice that? What's the refrain? This one was born there. This one and that, this one and that one, me and you, were born there. What it's saying is that uh, new life. This passage is saying that there is new life. It's like the, uh, John 3. Maybe some of you know that. You must be born again. This is the Old Testament version of John 3. You must be born again. But here's the thing. If you, if you come uh, to this God, if you confess that you're just, like, you're just like the Babylonians, you're just like the Egyptians, your heart is wicked and wandering, if you come to the Lord and confess that to him, he will say, New life. New identity. He, he will give you a new story. Which means that you won't look across the aisle at each other and say, I know that person's past. They're here. Why are they sitting here? What are they doing thinking they can come and stand and sing here? No, you will know that you are just like them. 
You are just as undeserving, and yet, friends, brothers and sisters, God made your life new. This is the grace of the gospel. That the God who made all things, who is calling a people to himself from all over the world, is the God who loves to welcome sinners. He loves to welcome uh, the least, the, the least deserving. Far from just welcoming, welcoming uh, you all or those sorts of people into a, a, a building to sing to him, he wants to say, I want you in my family. I want you to take on my name. I want you to be born again, and I will give you new life. Let's pray.